When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. We're a team of artists and musicians who make original music to support almost everything that we do. And one of Jake's original insights was that he could tell stories about well-known artists throughout history and do so with all original music and scoring. This is Podcast Perspectives, a show about the latest news in the podcast industry and the people behind it. I'm your host, Jeff Umbro, founder and CEO of The Podglomerate. Joining me on the show today is Brady Sadler, co-founder and CEO of Double Elvis, the production company behind Disgraceland with Jake Brennan, who is also the other co-founder of Double Elvis, as well as a number of other shows in the music space. Double Elvis is a small but mighty production company based out of Boston that has worked with Amazon Music and Spotify, as well as a dozen other companies in order to produce podcasts in, around, and about the music industry. We dive into all kinds of topics, including how to run a music podcast network in 2023, what that means in terms of creative choices, staffing, and producing original music, and the interesting ways in which the network does co-productions. So let's get right to it. What is Double Elvis? So Double Elvis is an audio-first media company, and we specialize in making podcasts and storytelling with an emphasis on music and pop culture. Do you view yourselves as a network, a publisher, an agency, a production company? Is it some of all of these things? Like, Do you, dis- do you have a distinction between them? Exactly. It is some of all of those things. So we just say media company and provide context around that, depending on what conversation we're in and, and who we're talking to. Can you walk me through the origins of Double Elvis? I know that you and Jake Brennan from Disgraceland came together. And what I don't know is if you guys were always operating together or if this was something that came after Jake launched the podcast. Yeah, we met um, before both of us were working professionally in podcasting. And I had spent a long time working in the marketing and advertising agency world and was also working on some side projects in specifically music and connecting artists to brands. And that was how I met Jake. Some mutual friends knew that we were both kind of hovering around that. Jake having spent his career as a professional musician, a solo artist in bands, and helping brands figure out how to activate using music. So we came together and and did that under an umbrella at uh, my existing agency and had some success, but ultimately both had moved on. And he called and said, you know, what are you doing next? What are you working on? And I said, let's, let's chat. I'm curious to hear the same from you. And he played me a pilot of the then unreleased 
first episode of Disgraceland. And I was blown away. I already knew Jake was someone that I wanted to work with again and had had that experience. But when I heard the show, you know, it was fully formed. He had been working for months and months on it, branding, you know, everything was there. And we actually then got to meet Jake Shapiro, who's now the head of creator partnerships at Apple. But many people don't know, is a pioneer in podcasting to the degree to which he was literally at the table when the first podcast was ever shipped using the RSS technology. And he thought that our collective experiences were right for providing a service and a contribution to the growing medium. And he was also getting started with something called Pod Fund at the time, which was going to be a dedicated resource to help get creator-led studios, creator-led studios off the ground. And so put all that together, we created Double Elvis, and we were running sister sort of companies in parallel with Disgraceland as its own entity and Double Elvis. And then sooner or later, it just made sense to bring it all together and have everything operating under one roof with one team. And that's what we have today. Jake Shapiro always finds his way into these conversations. That's very cool. You guys are now operating as, from what I can see, one of the larger like music-oriented podcast organizations out there. Do you ever run into any like kind of obstacles creating a show about or including you know pop culture and pop music and that kind of thing? Yeah, for the most part, we're a team of artists and musicians who make original music to support almost everything that we do. And one of Jake's original insights was that he could tell stories about well-known artists throughout history and do so with all original music and scoring rather than licensing their music. And you know, a lot of people told him that it wouldn't work and that if he didn't have those licensed tracks that people wouldn't want to hear the stories. And, you know, he said, respectfully, I think that if we bring a level of storytelling and incredible original sound design that elevates the story and brings you into whatever experience we're conveying with emotion, it'll actually be better in some ways than the original music might be. You're one click away from hearing almost any track ever. And that's not why you're coming to a podcast. Uh, And so... That's how we've operated. And original music has been core to our strategy. And now we have this massive library of original music that we've created as well. It also, I'm sure, helps with a lot of your marketing initiatives because you're working often with like music platforms like Spotify or Apple or Amazon Music. So how does that kind of play into things or does it at all? It's a great question. A couple of things come to mind. I believe that as search in podcasting continues to evolve and podcasts are surfaced next to other content, music, namely in this context, I think that there's an opportunity to bring people into podcasts through music and to have people discover and you know listen to music as a result of hearing a podcast. So uh, it's really cool now if you search like Taylor Swift on Amazon Music, for example, and probably Spotify at this point as well, you'll see the Disgraceland episode about Taylor right there next to her official albums and and all of her music. So this growing library that we have of 200 plus evergreen episodes, I think are going to be an asset in that regard for for a really long time. The other thing that I think about was uh, a project we did with iHeart and uh, collaboration with Def Jam Recordings and Universal Music Group. We created a fictional story, a limited series, 10 episodes, and these characters 
the main character in particular, was seeking out interviews with up and coming artists. And we worked with Def Jam to have 10 artists guest on the podcast. And in that fictional world, the main character would meet them. He'd interview them. We'd cut to a real interview that we did with them doing a cameo in the fictional world, really blending the format. And then at the end of every one of those episodes, we released an exclusive track from that guest and that artist. And that was a lot of fun uh, in terms of using actual licensed music. It allowed us to do a lot of interesting things from a content and marketing perspective. Yeah, and there's so many examples of, of both of the things that you just mentioned. I do think it's criminally underutilized in podcasting for people to kind of game the search engines. There was an episode we published years ago where a show we no longer work with published an episode about Elon Musk, and they called it Fly Me to the Moon. And we had like 20,000 hits in a month on Spotify because everybody thought it was the Frank Sinatra track. It's also really interesting to see how different organizations are starting to mix music and podcasting, whether it's like a famous musician as the host of the show and Spotify's program that allowed you to kind of curate your own radio session with music from the platform. So it's really kind of fascinating to see how people are are expanding in that space. And it terrifies me. It's, it's a, a sandbox I would rather stay out of because you never know like when you're going to step on toes, but it's cool to see you guys succeeding so well there. Yeah, there's definitely some complications to licensing. And then there's a lot of people doing great work to try and create some more ways to have that be accessible and streamlined in podcasting. And I think we'll we'll get there. There's also the utility of you know what can be done creating content and audio and video around music, of course. We created a show recently with Chris Shiflett, the lead guitar player, Hall of Fame guitarist for the Foo Fighters. And it's called Shred with Shifty. And he had this sort of challenge that he identified, which was as a guitar aficionado, he's on YouTube looking up how to play famous solos and couldn't find really accurate versions of those (laughs) and decided that he would try to go to the source, reach out to these folks and see if they would show him in real time how to play those famous and iconic solos. And so Chris sits down with the most incredible guitar players in the world and talks about you know, what was going on in the room, how did it happen, and then ultimately the utility of like, how do you move your fingers to, to make those sounds that we all know when, when we hear them. So you guys focus specifically on music podcasts. I don't think that you do anything outside of that. How does that impact your business model? It, does it allow you to like focus more resources on the thing that you do so well? Yeah, it definitely allows us to focus and to you know, have people on the team that are truly experts in and around all things music, whether that's producing original music like we talked about, or understanding the history of music in a deep way so that we can then channel that into a variety of different formats and types of shows and content. And to be able to also partner with others. You know, there's so many people out there that are passionate about music and, you know, are looking for teams that can help them bring to life their stories, whether that's journalists, other creators, brands that are in music, platforms and media. The other thing I think that, you know, we've focused on and we're best at 
is just having a really thoughtful system for making our shows and got some advice very early on that, you know, to be a production company that has a long life and can be successful and profitable, that you have to really build a system at its core that that can do that. So we've been optimizing on this double of his production system, which tactfully speaking, is this management system that lives on top of monday.com that we've customized and built automations into. So when we start a new project, we load in all the information, all the relevant dates and deliverables. And then the key team members who are going to work on it, and it sets up this really interesting infrastructure that allows us to be really thoughtful and efficient on time, on budget, and to manage things overall. And, and that's something we've even built that for other companies in the space because we've spent so much time perfecting that over the years. And there's you know a lot of institutional knowledge now baked into that. I will 1000% be reaching out to you about that later. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I think you guys operate in this fun space where you have a lot of original productions, but you also have partnerships, distribution deals, co-productions. I, do you actually have a breakdown of like how much of this is original versus everything else? The majority of it is original. As we grow, you know, increasingly we're, we're doing more of the latter in terms of co-productions and even some select work for hire projects. If we feel like we can bring something unique to that project and we're excited about the content, you know, I'm so grateful that we get to be discerning about that. It is incredibly fortunate. We work very hard, but we're so lucky to be able to work on stuff we genuinely love. And that can be kind of a throwaway line. But in this case, I assure you it is it is true. And yeah, obviously it's been a challenging year in the podcast industry in terms of every industry having kind of a natural evolution and in the early, you know, very exciting days of of this last wave. It was a different space than it is today. So being entrepreneurial, trying to get creative and thinking about ways to generate revenue and doing it with things that we're, we're proud of, you know, that's the sweet spot. I actually, I want to do an exercise where we kind of break down what a co-production might look like. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but traditionally, if you're going to do a production, the kind of valuable assets will be the RSS feed, the actual production assets. So, you know, the recordings, the edits, the mix and masters, there's usually probably some kind of financial situation there. There's the derivative IP and then, you know, the revenue sharing of, of whatever comes from that. Am I missing anything? No, I think you got it. And, you know, with the revenue piece, it's important to think about, you know, is there something that if it's being financed, is there some sort of a guarantee? What's the budget? How are you thinking about splitting that up? Who's really doing what in the project when it gets into the, the work itself? And then, yeah, any shared upside on any monetization. And as you said, there's a, a variety of different ways that, that that could happen. And it's good to contemplate those early on and make sure that you know you, you cover your bases with that ahead of time so everybody's clear on what you're doing going into it, where everyone kind of sits and where they can participate and profit, hopefully. And, you know, at the same time, being realistic that it is really challenging to get a successful show off the ground. So asking, you know, oneself, what are you what are you really trying to get out of it? Are you looking to just make a little money? Are you trying to gain a certain type of experience where you haven't done this this role before, where you really want to learn these things? Are you interested in doing this ongoing or just sort of getting it off the ground and then going on to your next thing? 
Uh, do you want to be on the road? Do you hope to do a lot of live work, you know, as an extension of this? What, what are all the things that you're trying to do? And, you know, a lot of your listeners, I would assume, just based on the incredible guests that you've had are, you know, professional podcasters who are, are doing this a lot of their time. But for those who aren't and are thinking about getting in the space, I always encourage people to think about those goals and whether or not the core show is going to drive revenue may may not be the end goal for you. It might be that your business is going to, you're going to have a product or a service or consult or do something around your show. That's where you're going to actually monetize. And the, the show itself is a marketing and promotional vehicle for that. I know a lot of people who very successfully leverage podcasting in that way uh, as well. I think that is, I don't even want to call it a secret, but I think that's one of the things that is probably less apparent to most people outside of like a certain subset of the industry when it comes to like, what do each of these parties actually gain from these partnerships? But yeah, it you can use it for a thousand different things to reach a million different goals. I have this idea in my head that Jake from Disgraceland has like created this whole network of shows with Double Elvis that came from the success of that one show. There is also like Ashley Flowers from Crime Junkie, even Malcolm Gladwell in Revisionist History. I could give you a dozen examples of like big personalities that have turned their project into something much larger that has then mushroomed into like full companies or audiences of millions, derivative properties, books, etc. Do you think that we're going to be seeing more of that in the future where you just have these breakout stars in the audio world? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think the answer is yes, we will see a lot more of that. I think of friends of ours at Ballin Studios who are building a fascinating media business after the success of their main guy, Mr. Ballin. And John is just like this incredible talent who had success on YouTube and TikTok and then in podcasting and then surrounded himself with a great team. And now they're building out their whole business. And I think the key is that the individual can only do so many things. And if they're interested in building that out and they have the vision and they want to invest in that, then surround themselves with, with the right people. Not everything will work, of course, but that over time, people who, who truly love a certain creator will like the things that they also recommend and like and will, will want to hear from them. And there's a lot of conversation in the podcast space, of course, about the role of video and YouTube in particular. What a lot of YouTubers are really great at and really get is community. And the best ones are interacting in the comments, on the community page on YouTube, and really understand that that fan base is critical. There's a couple of uh, folks who create this show, Colin and Samir are their names, and they make the published press. Yeah, I read it every day. Yeah, newsletter and podcast about this kind of thing. So if you're interested, in addition to getting more of this from you, Jeff, I'm sure, and your team who will continue to explore this on your show, check out the published press. That's an incredible resource for businesses that are building around creators and I just get excited, obviously, about people figure out their lane and their their ability to build something around creating content and creating interactions with communities. It's just 
to me so exciting and and that's why I'm so bullish on there being room for that to work as individual shows and and as companies built around that premise. So you just answered my next question. I was going to ask you if you're optimistic about the future of podcasting. For sure. Yeah. The underlying metrics are great in in audio and remain fantastic in terms of listener growth domestically, globally, huge opportunity in other other markets outside the US and you know, with the addition of a video when and where appropriate, I think that's going to continue to grow the industry. And But I think pure play audio is a very specific use case as well. And one that people are going to continue discovering and loving. And there's a lot of people who aren't yet there, don't know the magic of, of what we are so lucky to have in this industry. And, and as the content grows, there really is something for every passion point now. And I talked about the kind of functional side of it, the utility side of it, like there, you can learn, you know, almost anything you need to learn now in podcasting. And I think we're just going to continue to see that grow the audience. But yeah, the advertising community continues to invest even in a otherwise down advertising market. We are way up in ad dollars and that is incredible. There are no other industry in marketing that look like this in terms of growth in a counter cyclical time. So at least not in, in this moment. So that's very, very exciting. I couldn't agree more. I think it's it's easy to look at the pessimism uh, in the industry because I think that it's been a very tough year. A lot of people have gone through it. But I think ultimately that's because a lot of big companies got over eager when it, when it came to like the boom times of the last couple of years. I had one question for you regarding a conversation we had last year. You had just launched a local Boston podcast that would, you know, tell listeners where they could hear local concerts and bands and that kind of thing. Yeah, we we ran a pilot of something called Lust for Live and picked our hometown of Boston to do it in. And, you know, the feedback was great. The challenge was that audience size and figuring out the monetization. And we got some quick sponsors on board right out of the gate. And we think we figured out a formula that can work. What we need to be able to continue that and scale that is a partner who has shared goals in terms of reaching that local audience with discretionary income, looking to go out and experience the the market. And that's companies that sell concert tickets or have venues and restaurants and credit card companies and Uber. And, you know, there's so many companies out there, I think, this is really tailor-made for a brand or a set of brands to activate across endless markets in the US and across the world. So we've got now, we think is a really workable format, uh, an exciting format and a business model around that. And we're interested in talking to people who might want to activate that to, to be able to have it grow and continue here in Boston beyond the pilot that we did last year and across other markets. Yeah, I've been really fascinated by local media in general and applying that to audio is kind of its own beast. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brady. This was awesome. It was great to hear more about what you're up to. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. It's great what you're doing here. You know, that really is something that I think is special in podcasting is that there are a lot of people in the space who uh, the majority of people in space are really willing to engage, share what they're learning and help people. 
And I hope that we can continue to foster that foundation, which is, is really in this industry in a unique way. And we need to do more and continue to grow and, and spread that out and bring more and more people in. And I'm really grateful to, to know you and, and everyone else working in the space. Thank you so much to Brady Sadler for joining us on this episode of Podcast Perspectives. You can find more from Brady and Double Elvis at doubleelvis.com. For more podcast-related news, info, and takes, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Umbro. Podcast Perspectives is a production of The Podglomerate. If you are looking for help producing, distributing, or monetizing your podcast, you can find us at thepodglomerate.com. Shoot us an email at listen at thepodglomerate.com or follow us on all social platforms at Podglomerate. This episode was produced by Chris Boniello and Henry Lavoie. And thank you to our marketing team, Joni Deutsch, Madison Richards, Morgan Swift, Annabella Penna, and Vanessa Ullman. And a special thank you to Dan Christo. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next week.